For the ones who get going when the going gets tough. And the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you. So you can always depend on us. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. We made it. Look at that. Who would have thought we made it all the way to 2020? No uh, Y2K problem, no Y2J problem. We didn't... uh, What was it called when the world was supposed to end around uh, 5... May of 2011. The world didn't end, is the point. The world is here, and so are we. It's what the world is watching. Welcome to Thursday, Not Sam Thursday, the first Not Sam Wrestling podcast for the year of our Lord, 2020. Uh, And I couldn't think of a better way to celebrate the fact that we are in this great year than with you. And I'll tell you, my plan, my plan going into this thing was to kind of go over who is going to own 2020, who who the year of 2020 is probably going to belong to. But I think that might have to wait till Monday's podcast. I don't think that anybody was expecting Raw to be as eventful as it was this week. Uh, of course, remains to be seen how eventful SmackDown will be, but if Raw is any indication, I would say that SmackDown is probably not taking the week off either. The WWE decided... Last week is a holiday week, but as of December 30th, I guess Monday was, we're back to work, and boy were they, for better or worse, whether you liked it or you didn't like it, you have to admit that Monday's show was eventful. Let's talk about a a couple of things. By the way, we will uh, get to a little bit of feedback on the Decade in Review show that I did with Wade Keller that came out on Monday. If you haven't heard that, then make sure you sit down and listen to myself and Wade Keller from the Pro Wrestling Torch on Monday's show. Kind of go over everything that was the 2010s in the WWE and what that decade meant. We will uh, go over a little bit of feedback on that because even in an almost two-hour conversation, there are things that get missed. Some, I don't want to say deservedly so, but some less deservedly so than others. So we will get into that um, and a lot more, a lot more to talk about. Uh, Of course, we're already, and this is how you know that Raw was not considered a holiday show, even though nobody was, for the most part, people weren't back to work on Monday. Some people had to, poor souls had to go back to work on Monday, but most people were not getting Christmas off, having to go back to work on Monday, and then getting New Year's Eve off again. You know what I mean? It was just such... Most people are back to work around today, tomorrow, and then everybody's back by Monday. But... And and when that happens, even though there's not a holiday going on, people lose track of their schedules. We were talking about it with Wade Keller. That's, That's a huge reason to me why ratings go down during the holidays. Not just because people have plans and people are seeing family. That's a big part of it. But also because people's schedules get all out of whack. They forget it's Monday. They forget it's Friday. They forget it's Wednesday. Whatever day it is. So I think that all has to be considered. But the ratings were very good for Raw this week. And Raw, not only did it have 
a lot of storyline, but it had storyline that moved forward. We we got to start to find out what the Royal Rumble is going to look like. Uh, you've got, uh, well, I guess on SmackDown it started. Friday's SmackDown, we found out that it is going to be Daniel Bryan and The Fiend one-on-one at the Royal Rumble, which, you know, I think is going to be The Fiend's best opponent. And you have to ask yourself, would you rather see, and we didn't get into this on Monday's show, would you rather see, do you want to see The Fiend win that match? Because I think theoretically you go, yeah, you know, as much as you love Daniel Bryan, nobody's going to be disappointed to see Daniel Bryan have another uh, championship run. It would be his first universal title run because those titles switched. But I think that generally speaking, people want to see The Fiend keep the title. I, I think that we want to see The Fiend go undefeated for as long as possible. The Hell in a Cell doesn't count. Not only does it not count because technically he wasn't defeated in that match, but it doesn't count because that is the night that we shan't be talking about. When we talk about The Fiend, we will never utter the phrase Hell in a Cell because it was, well, it was a horrendous misstep. But we won't talk about it anymore is the point. We don't talk about Hell in a Cell when we talk about The Fiend. What we do talk about is everything before and everything after and how good everything before and everything after has been. And that's why I I know I want to see the Universal Championship left on The Fiend for as long as humanly possible. But realistically speaking, what is the future of The Fiend if he beats Daniel Bryan at the Royal Rumble? The future of The Fiend, you have to believe, is going to be Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. If The Fiend is Universal Champion at WrestleMania, you would have to believe that Roman Reigns is going to be his opponent, right? If he's if he tore through Finn Balor and Seth Rollins on Raw, he's torn through The Miz, if he tears through Daniel Bryan, you know, who else is left on SmackDown, realistically speaking, to take on the, the Fiend for the Universal title in a WrestleMania-level match? You have to believe that Roman Reigns is being looked at as that opponent. He's on SmackDown. He hasn't gotten a world, a world title or Universal title match since coming back to WWE. You have to believe that's being saved for something. And at this point, it wouldn't make sense to save it for anything but WrestleMania. What is the WrestleMania match that you want to see more? Do you want to see Roman Reigns conquer The Fiend? Or do you want to see a Roman Reigns-Daniel Bryan WrestleMania match? Either way, if you're a betting person, the odds are that Roman Reigns is going to win. Right? I personally would rather see... If I'm going to watch Roman Reigns win the Universal Championship at WrestleMania, theoretically, I would personally rather see him face Daniel Bryan than The Fiend. And I'll tell you why. I think that the match would be better. I think that, as far as just matches go, I think that the story would be better because the story you can now hearken back on years and years of Daniel Bryan being the guy that people want and Roman Reigns being the company guy. Roman Reigns has garnered enough respect with the audience at this point, I believe, I might be wrong, but I think so, where he could go out there and have this match and not be booed out of the building. I think, I think 
you could tell an aggressive story between Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan, not dissimilarly from the story you told between John Cena and The Rock. That The Rock was this Hollywood guy who decided to come back and expected the world to be handed to him, and John Cena is the one that's been holding down the fort since The Rock decided to split, and John Cena would like some credit. Daniel Bryan, in this instance, is the working man, and Roman Reigns is the silver platter guy. Now, I don't think The Rock was damaged by being the silver platter guy. Everybody's still just as happy to see The Rock. At no point did he drift into heeldom, but it was still an interesting story, and I think that that story could be told without Roman Reigns. Not only do I think it could be told without Roman Reigns losing any sort of good guy credibility, I think he could do it gaining some. You know, I think that you could have a good guy versus good guy, Daniel Bryan versus Roman Reigns match at WrestleMania. And they're even easier to have those matches now because you have so many matches at WrestleMania and you've got multiple major championships. You could have a WrestleMania. We now know that the Raw Women's Championship, the SmackDown Women's Championship, the Universal Championship, and the WWE Championship all of those titles could main event WrestleMania. You can also have a mega match that could main event WrestleMania. If Brock Lesnar is not uh, uh, competing for a title, but he's in a match with, say, The Undertaker, maybe that goes on last, you know? John Cena versus The Rock went on last, even when it wasn't for the title. Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker went on last, even though there was no title on the line. Like, there are matches that break that title rule, but even when they don't, there's still four titles that are just as likely as any other title to main event that show. So even the people that would say, well, good guy versus good guy, WrestleMania's main event, WrestleMania main events never work, that's okay. I mean, Hogan Sid main evented WrestleMania 8. That's okay because you don't have to put on Daniel Bryan, Roman Reigns last. I think that you could. I think that a Roman Reigns, Daniel Bryan match could tell the best story and could be most beneficial to both guys. I think if it's the Fiend and Roman Reigns that go into WrestleMania, you run this risk of people being so in love with that Fiend character and so worried that it's going to be damaged. And this feeling that, oh, so this whole time that we've been investing in this Fiend character, it was really just to serve up to Roman Reigns. I, I don't want to see that blowback come on to Roman. Because The Fiend is not a traditional bad guy. We've talked about it on the show before. The Fiend is a bad guy the way Jason Voorhees is a bad guy in Friday the 13th. You don't actually want to see him lose. He's not actually the bad guy. Tony Montana is not the bad guy in Scarface. He's say hello to the bad guy, but he's not actually the bad guy. You don't want to see him get taken out at the end of that movie. When you're watching Goodfellas, you don't want to see Henry Hill have to go into witness protection. You want to see the middle of the movie last the whole time. If you're watching the movie Blow with Johnny Depp in it, you don't want to see George Young go to jail at the end of it. You want to see him and Pee Wee Herman selling drugs on the beach for their entire lives. That's who the fiend is. So when Roman Reigns is being served up as, you know, the person to stop this monster there's a good chance that a lot of people are not going to want that monster to be stopped. So maybe, maybe 
You get somebody like Daniel Bryan, who has just built up more goodwill than anybody that I've ever seen in my life in the WWE. Have him take the title away from The Fiend and have The Fiend move on to somebody else. Give him a specialty match at WrestleMania. Find a way to work him in with Brock Lesnar, maybe. Maybe he's in that universal title scene. I have other visions for Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania, but that's, that's interesting. You know, find something else for The Fiend. There's plenty of people for The Fiend. Maybe you, maybe you do a Fiend versus Baron Corbin match where you really just lean into the fact that there's nobody selling more merchandise and there's nobody keeping people more interested than, than The Fiend. Put a bad guy next to him. Let people cheer him. You know, maybe you do something cross-brand where Seth Rollins finally wants to get revenge on The Fiend now that he's a bad guy, and you have Seth Rollins versus The Fiend. I don't know. There's a, many, many, many interesting opponents for The Fiend, but I think there is a huge upside to having Daniel Bryan beat The Fiend for the Universal Championship at the Royal Rumble and having Roman Reigns take on Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania for that title. I think there's a lot of upside to it. As far as Brock Lesnar, I've told you before, I think I mentioned it last week. I think Kofi Kingston should win the Royal Rumble out of nowhere. Not even hint towards the fact that he wants a rematch. Keep going as you were going. And out of nowhere, have Kofi Kingston win that match and challenge Brock Lesnar for the, for the WWE Championship at WrestleMania. If you're telling me going in, you have a Kofi Kingston, Brock Lesnar match, a Daniel Bryan, Roman Reigns match. I think, I, look, it would at least be unexpected. I'd be happy with it. Um, but so we've got that match for the Royal Rumble. And on Raw, we find out that Charlotte has uh, entered her name into the Women's Royal Rumble. And you have to believe, I don't think the announcement has been made official. But after what happened at Survivor Series, and as successful as Survivor Series was not only as a pay-per-view, but also for the entire NXT brand that really needed a boost and Survivor Series gave it to it, you have to believe that NXT will probably comprise a third of that Royal Rumble match of both the men's and the women's. I think that would be fair. You know, I think that there's a high likelihood that you've got 10 Raw, <coughs> 10 SmackDown, 10 NXT in both the Royal Rumble women's and Royal Rumble men's matches which is going to certainly diminish the surprises because past couple of years, every NXT entrant has actually been a surprise entrant. So it's certainly going to limit the surprises. Maybe you're going to give nine entrants per brand and then have three surprise entrants. I don't know. But it's also, not only does that limit surprises, but it also limits the amount of people per brand that are going to be in that match. So all of a sudden, when Charlotte says, I'm going to be in the match, that's a that's a big spot to take. Now, with the women, it's a little bit easier because there's not that many women. So, you know, rest assured, most of the women who aren't wrestling in a title match will be in the women's Royal Rumble match. But when it comes to the men, if Seth Rollins comes out next week and says, I'm in the Royal Rumble and so are the Authors of Pain, now we've only got seven more spots for Raw, theoretically, in that match. So it's going to be a much bigger deal, I think, this year when people start announcing that they're going to be in that match. Uh, we've also got Becky Lynch versus Asuka. That was a big announcement on Raw. I am thrilled with it. I think that it is so great that they spent a year of n not allowing Becky Lynch to ever pin Asuka. Tag team matches. At no point has Becky Lynch ever beaten Asuka. 
You know, and there was criticism after last year's Royal Rumble for months because Becky got all this credit. And really, for the first half of last year, Asuka didn't do much. And there was no reference to the fact that she actually beat Becky Lynch. I thought that it was pretty clear why that was happening. I thought the reason they weren't mentioning that Asuka beat Becky Lynch is because they're trying to maintain Becky Lynch as the number one person on the roster. And the last thing they need is to bring up the fact that somebody else beat her. You know, we're trying to push Becky Lynch to the moon. Let's address the Asuka thing later. Because if we're talking about Asuka the entire time, then that's the match people want to see. If we're not going to deliver that match right now, let's not talk about it right now. Let's save it. And they did. The rematch is happening at this year's Royal Rumble. Asuka, two belts, one half of the women's tag team champions, is taking on Becky Lynch. And I call her Asuka, two belts, because she's got the opportunity for the Raw Women's Championship Awesome story, awesome match to have, awesome spot to put Asuka in. I, you know, and great, fantastic for Becky Lynch because it's something different. It's something different for Becky Lynch, and it actually gives Charlotte a story going into the Royal Rumble. That look, Charlotte was in the main event of WrestleMania this year, or or in 2019. But in all honesty, the people remembered for the main event of that match are Ronda Rousey and Becky Lynch. Charlotte was an afterthought, and she hasn't done a ton since WrestleMania. So she's got this story of having something to prove in the Royal Rumble. She needs to win the Royal Rumble this year. She should win the Royal Rumble. She's got all this hype around her. She needs to win that match. So I think all parties involved, Asuka, Becky, and Charlotte, are looking very good headed into the Royal Rumble. Let's talk about the... uh, uh, the angles. First of all, we also didn't talk about this on Monday show because we were talking about the decade, but uh, I was psyched that I decided to go s- strictly as a fan to the Holiday House show at Madison Square Garden this year. Every year, right after Christmas, WWE comes to Madison Square Garden. This year, no different. December 26th, they do a, a, a big house show. It was amazing, by the way. I've been to a lot of house shows. This is one of the best house shows I've ever been to. It was three and a half hours long, and it was just about all good matches. You know, you got your Drew McIntyre versus No Way Jose moment. But for the most part, it, it's a, it was a triple threat cage match between Asuka, Charlotte, and Becky. Main event, No Holes Barred. Kevin Owens versus Seth Rollins with a surprise run-in from Samoa Joe at the end of it. You had a cute 24-7 title switcheroo happen where you switch that title over and over again. And you had Rey Mysterio versus Andrade. U.S. title on the line. Rey Mysterio says, I'm not really prepared to defend the title, but I'll do it. I'm, I'll defend that title. And guess what happens? Andrade actually wins. I was there at the show. Andrade wins the United States Championship at a live event from Rey Mysterio. It was really funny because I got like a tweet on Monday that was like, don't you think that WWE should change titles at house shows? Wouldn't it be, uh, wouldn't it create interest in these live events? And I'm like, yeah, they just did. Pay attention. Watch the product, you know? But I thought it was, I thought it was exactly the type of thing that you should be doing. It's one thing to change the 24-7 title over and over again. It's another thing to have the United States Championship taken off Rey Mysterio, put onto Andrade. That's a big move. And I mean, you know, you're always going to have people that are dissatisfied. I read a lot of people saying, well, I would have liked to have seen it. Would have been nice if they had showed it to me. Look, 
you see lots of title changes. Lots of them. It's just as big a deal when Andrade shows up on Raw. You're not taking anything away from Andrade by having him win that title at a live event because you're making a big deal out of it when he comes out on Raw with the United States title. Now you're just creating some interest and saying, look, crazy stuff happens at these live events. You should go next time WWE is in town. That's it. And they got the footage. It's not like they don't record these things. So, you know, anybody being negative about it, I feel like it's just being negative for the sake of being negative because... It's all good, man. It's all, it's all good, man. Uh, so you had Andrade, you know, announced as the United States champion on Monday Night Raw. Good spot there with Ricochet and all that. Uh, but I think the two key, well, number two and number three, we all know what the number one key moment of Raw this week was, and we'll talk about it. But the two key moments were, of course, Samoa Joe returning to being a wrestler leaving the commentary booth, and, you know, I've got to tell you, I don't think that there's anybody that doesn't like Kevin Owens and Samoa Joe as a good guy tag team. I think that Samoa Joe being a commentator helped him more than anybody realized it would help him. I don't think that that was one of those things that was, like, done intentionally because, oh, people are going to—it was just, hey, Samoa Joe was good on backstage. Let's try him on commentary while he's injured. And he just happened to be really good. I think when you got a guy like Samoa Joe, who the whole world loves anyway, and he gets on commentary and he's really good at that, I think you end up, and I talked about this on a, a week ago on the Year in Review show, you end up with a guy who has, the, the word again is goodwill, who's got all this goodwill from the people who were now like, I knew Samoa Joe was a badass. I didn't realize he was good at like everything. Everything has worked out. Uh, everything's coming up Samoa right now. Everything's coming up Samoa Joe. So I, I think that that's great. I think it works good for Seth Rollins as a bad guy. You know, I thought it was good. I thought the Randy Orton, AJ Styles segment was good. You know, it was just what you want from one of those uh, fake you out injury segments where some people are saying he is, some people are saying he isn't. So... They did it, and again, it's good for house show business. It's good for live shows that they showed that at a live show, not the December 26th live show, I don't think, but at a different live show, Randy Orton, quote-unquote, got injured. The X was thrown up by the referee. He got helped out of the ring. Now, I guess there were some dirt sheets that were like, oh, he's not really injured, just so you know. Like, okay, that's fine, but let us let this thing play out for a second. Uh, so he comes on Raw with crutches. People go, well, you know, again... I mean, if it were going to be a fake injury, you wouldn't do it at a live event. You'd do it on television, right? Well, now there's even more reason to go to live events because storylines and angles continue at these live events. So we see the footage of him getting uh, something bad happening to his leg. He comes out on crutches, being assisted by Tamario, getting into the ring. And... He hits him with that RKO out of nowhere, and I have to tell you, I couldn't guarantee you that I was excited about a Randy Orton, AJ Styles story, rivalry, whatever you want to call it. And that's not because Randy Orton or AJ Styles aren't two of the greatest of all time, but it's because unless you're telling a great story, you run a risk of, I've seen that before. And guess what? I'm interested in the story. 
I don't feel like I've seen this before. I feel like I'm 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 really watching something play out. I believe in Randy Orton as a good guy. I believe in AJ Styles as a bad guy. Really goes to show their strengths because Randy Orton's so good as a bad guy and AJ Styles is so good as a good guy. But I can't wait to see this thing unfold. And I thought that it, I thought the orchestration of the whole thing on Raw was terrific. The whole Randy Orton AJ Styles thing. It just worked. And I don't think that there would be anybody. I don't think that that's a highly debatable opinion to have. I think that worked. Now, let's talk about the end of Monday Night Raw. Far and away, the most talked about segment on the show, the wedding of Lana and Lashley. The hashtag Lana Lashley wedding, which is ironic because theoretically, if she married Lashley, her name would be Lana Lashley. So, we have this wedding set up. There's a whole bunch of chairs out there. Nobody sitting in them. I hope that that was not just an oversight. I hope that that was actually a detail. Because if they did expect to have a whole bunch of guests and then just nobody showed up because they don't like Lana and Lashley, that's hilarious. It's great. I actually, I think it added that there was nobody sitting in the chairs. But uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna refrain from my opinions because this is a highly, highly controversial. Hotly debated segment, okay? I I said one tweet about it. One tweet. And I am still, days later, getting hate spewed at me for it. So, we do the wedding. Bobby Lashley comes out to his theme music. Guns blazing, no sleeves, no undershirt. Biceps, triceps, pecs. Sleeveless tux jacket, looking like a million bucks. Lana comes out to actual wedding music. You go to commercial, come back. This Jamoke is uh, is the is the wedding officiant. Who thank God that Lana understood a little bit more about timing than the wedding officiant. But again, I'm not trying to get into my opinions because he was long winded. That's all I'm saying. A long winded Bill Belichick looking wedding officiant. And I will bet any amount of money that somebody saw that guy, they got a kick out of the fact that he looked like Bill Belichick and that's why he got the job. I would also bet money that at some point in the day, there was a discussion about having that guy perform that wedding ceremony with a hoodie with the sleeves cut off because he looked that much like Bill Belichick. I I guarantee that that was at least a conversation at some point during the day. Probably best that that did not happen because it would have been the weirdest thing ever. But as bizarre as the segment was, might have been okay. So they're reading their vows. Lana's telling the crowd to shut up. Don't chant Rusev Day. This isn't about Rusev. There is a conspicuous, giant, wrestler-sized cake right next to Lana and Lashley. I think if Lana and Lashley could go back in time, they would probably say to themselves, let's not get a cake the size of a wrestler and just stand it in the ring for our wedding that doesn't have any guests anyway. Nobody's going to eat that much cake. There's nobody here. There's three of us. But regardless, that's hindsight, easy for me to say. So they got their big wrestler-sized cake. Lana's yelling at the crowd. They're reading their vows. Lana says, don't bring up kids. I don't want one of those ugly little monsters crawling out of me. Beautiful, because who likes a woman who's getting married and thinks kids are terrible? Nobody. It's an unlikable trait. So, anybody have any objections? A man comes out. Looks to be local talent. Apparently, at one point, Lana was married to a local talent. He comes out in his tux. He goes, or, or his suit, not a tux. 
And he goes, Lana left me for that son of a bitch Rusev. And then Lana left that son of a bitch for this son of a bitch Lashley. Lashley got all fired up. First of all, the idea that it's Lana's third marriage, it's not exactly a high crime. You know what I mean? People get married. They get divorced. They get married again. They get divorced again. They get married again. There are people five or six. Larry King's been married 283 times. Granted, he's 1,015 years old. So you do what you got to do. But to get married and get divorced is not exactly a crime. This guy had a case of sour grapes. He needs to move on with his life. But he called Lashley a son of a bitch. Lashley gave him a nice quick spine buster and threw his ass out of the ring. Good. I was happy to see that. Okay, any other objections? Well, now we got another person coming out. She says that she is Bobby Lashley's first wife. And Lana's sick of it. She's a woman gets up on the ring apron again. As long as you're not married today, get over yourself, honey. Lana slaps her in the face. Stephanie McMahon, Brie Bella style. Knocks her right off the ring apron. Toodaloo. Go back to where you came from. Move on. Let Bobby move on. Seriously, any other objections? Wait, wait, wait. Here comes Liv Morgan. Liv Morgan comes out. We've been watching these vignettes about finding the real Liv Morgan. Liv Morgan comes out. She goes, how can you do this? How can you do this? We were in love. I wouldn't have been able to survive the last year without you. This is ridiculous. Bobby Lashley says, I don't even talk to this lady. Liv Morgan says, not you, her. Whoa, it's Lana. There was some kind of love affair going on between Lana and Liv Morgan that we didn't even know about. A fight ensues. Liv Morgan gets thrown out of the ring. Seriously, can we just get married? Okay, let's go ahead and let's pronounce you husband and Oh, wait, I forgot. There's a wrestler-sized cake there. It's Rusev Day. Here comes Rusev, busting out of the cake, takes out Lashley. Liv Morgan's back in the ring, takes out Lana. And Rusev and Liv Morgan, friends, because they were both scorned by Lana, and they're both sick of Bobby Lashley and his beautiful, amazing glutes. And that's how the show ends. I don't think that if you paid anyone any amount of money, they could have called what we saw on Monday Night Raw. Now, there is something about Lana, Lashley, Rusev segments, storylines. I've been very critical of them on this podcast. Everybody's been critical of them on Twitter. It is the in thing to tear them apart. There is something, as soon as you hear that that rumbling, do-do-do-do-do-do, I don't even know if that's right, of Bobby Lashley coming out. You go, boo, this is going to suck, and I'm not even booing because he's a bad guy. I'm booing because I don't want to see this segment, but I'll watch it. And there was a lot of that coming off this wedding. It's the dumbest thing ever. WWE's going backwards, not forwards. and stupid. It doesn't help anybody. Poor Liv Morgan. For God's sake, she got all these vignettes. And then she comes out on this segment, and this is what they do. Poor Liv Morgan. She had so much more to offer. They're offering their condolences to the career of Liv Morgan. Come on. I don't like Lana, and I don't like Bobby Lashley, but poor Rusev. It's Rusev Day. He's got so much more to offer. Come on. And I sat there, and I go, and then, you know, you got people tweeting, what the hell is going on on Raw right now? For hours. It was the number one trend on Twitter. 
I went to sleep. I woke up the next morning, nine hours after upload. The wedding had 1.1 million views on YouTube. Now it's got many more million views on YouTube because people can't believe they're disgusted. I got to click on this again and watch it. I'm going to be honest with you. I was not watching Monday Night Raw live this week. It was a holiday. I was doing something else. I set my DVR for Monday Night Raw and I said, okay, I'll watch Raw. You know, I'm not going to work in the morning. So maybe, you know, tomorrow afternoon when the kid's napping, I'll kind of go through Raw and I'll watch it then. I looked at my Twitter account and I turned Raw on live because there were so many people talking about Lana and Lashley. And I am sure that I am not unique in that case. If you look at the ratings, very good ratings for Raw this week, comparable to where they've been. And there is usually a pretty big drop-off in the third hour of Raw. People go to bed. People have already watched two, two and a half hours of wrestling. Enough is enough. I'll set the DVR. I'll watch the rest later. I've been there. I wake up at 4.30 every morning. You think I'm up at 11 o'clock watching every Raw? I'm setting the DVR. I'm watching it later. But the ratings were pretty consistent going into that third hour. And the fact that you had a high number of eyes, even in the overrun, after 11 p.m., means that they were watching for that segment. People were turning their TVs on for that segment. People were talking about that segment. And the people that missed that segment were going to YouTube to watch that segment. So I go, okay, all right. So it worked in terms of eyes. It worked in terms of gaining interest and getting people to talk. Okay, that's something. But that's not everything. That's just something. And I thought to myself, and I tweeted about this, after it ended, I wanted to go back on my DVR and watch the whole segment again. I couldn't believe what I had just seen. I don't know if I was wanted to watch it as a train wreck. I don't know if I wanted to watch it and take notes on how to get people talking. I don't know what I wanted to see. I just, I, I had to see just the, the most bizarre thing had happened and I needed to see it again. And I know I'm not the only one that watched it more than once. So I'm going, okay, that's also a mark of success. Then I start thinking about crowd reactions. I read some people on Twitter going, well, you know, when 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 Liv Morgan came out, they just wanted like a trash TV, Jerry Springer type reaction, but they didn't get that. Well, if you watch the show, literally in 2019, the audience is chanting, Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. When Liv Morgan says, Lana, it's you, not Bobby Lashley, the crowd goes, people on Twitter are like, what? Like, I was watching that segment and I'm like, okay, Lashley's getting booed more than ever. Lana's getting booed more than ever, but at no point, watch that segment again, at no point is Lana breaking character. At no point does Lana appear lost out there. Lana and Lashley, whatever heat, quote unquote, this whole storyline has, Lana and Lashley are taking all of it because this storyline is making fans hate Lana and Lashley. It's making them boo Lana and Lashley, who are the bad guys. 
I'm going to tell you something about Rusev. Before this storyline, the Rusev Day chants were done. Rusev Day and the interest in Rusev Day had died out. At WrestleMania 34, I want to say, the one in New Orleans, the year before last, the stadium of people were chanting Rusev Day during the kickoff show just because. This year at WrestleMania? No, not the case. And since WrestleMania? Absolutely not the case. But you know what's been happening since people, and they'll tell you it's because they feel bad for Rusev because he's stuck in this storyline. Rusev is getting cheered as much as ever, and the Rusev Day chants are back permeating through these arenas. Liv Morgan is all of a sudden one of the most popular members of the female roster. I mean, people like Liv Morgan, but she was not sitting around going like, well, there's there's Becky, there's Charlotte, and there's Liv Morgan. That's not what people were saying. Now, they're going like, how could you waste Liv Morgan on a storyline like this? She deserves the stars, the moon, all the gold and trinkets in the world. Which, great. If there are a lot of people that feel that way, incredible. But guess what? It's not making it so that when Liv Morgan comes out, you're like, I don't care about this. Liv Morgan comes out and you're cheering harder than you've ever cheered for Liv Morgan. There is more Liv Morgan support amongst wrestling fans now than there has ever, ever, ever been. I was talking to a friend about, even before the wedding, about the Lana and Rusev story. And he said, you know what the weirdest thing is? As bad as these segments are, it kind of works. Because all the bad guys are getting booed and all the good guys are getting cheered. And the bad guys are getting booed worse than ever and the good guys are getting cheered more than ever. These segments themselves are not getting booed out of the building. Because when Rusev jumps out of a cake, he's not getting booed. He's getting cheered. And when Liv Morgan attacks Lana, this it's not getting poo-pooed out of the building. Liv's getting cheered. Lana's getting booed. And people are talking. You could say it's for the wrong reasons, but I don't see how it's for the wrong reasons. I didn't see this story working. Somehow, this story is working. Now, there is the question of Liv Morgan playing an LGBT character and Lana being involved in an LGBT storyline and whether or not that's going to be handled properly by the WWE. But until it is not handled properly by the WWE, there's no reason to say well, this is just, you know, this is just, this is cheap. This is, you know, this is, this is trivializing everything. Because it's not yet. It might. But it's not now. There is a road you could go down where it would be. But we're not, we're not on that road as far as we know. It depends what happens next week on Raw. And the week after. You know, if, if we just sit there and say, well, Lana and, 
Liv Morgan had a, a, a romantic relationship. And we don't make a big production out of it and we don't make, uh, we don't have all these hangups about it and we just keep it moving and say, yeah, this is a normal thing that happens with adults. That's not harmful. If anything, that's positive. So even that part of it, you could see where, uh-oh, if they go in a different direction with this, it could be a negative thing. But they haven't pulled the trigger on that yet. So you can't even blame them for that. You can sit there and say, this thing got off to a really weird start because there was some weird infidelity cuckolding stuff going on. But now we're at this position where Rusev is not in love with Lana anymore and they're divorced. Lana's moved on to this other guy. They're jerks. But we're not, we're, it's, it's soap opera. It's soap opera. And it's okay if you don't like wrestling soap opera. But every, to me, wrestling needs some soap opera. And if you can have a show where AJ Styles and Randy Orton are telling an amazing story, or at least a, a good story, and Samoa Joe and Kevin Owens are teaming up as good guys and it's working, and Seth Rollins is finally a bad guy and it's working, and the Authors of Pain have this great spot and it's working, and all this stuff is happening. Right, And you're excited about the women's main event at Royal Rumble between Becky Lynch and Asuka. And you're excited about Charlotte being in the women's Royal Rumble. And all this stuff is happening. And oh yeah, there's this insane, ridiculous soap opera going on over here. But as a fan, I'm booing the bad guys and cheering the good guys. And I'm talking about it. I can't for the life of me, logically, as I sit here as a wrestling Vulcan, as I'm trying to live long and prosper, I'm just using logic. I'm not using emotion. Logically, you cannot explain to me how this wasn't a successful angle on Raw. You can't. You could tell me you didn't like it, and that's cool. Maybe you don't like, maybe this was because it's so over the top soap opera. Maybe you don't like the soap opera stuff. That's cool. You don't have to like it. But, I felt like WWE was going for something and they got the result that they wanted. And they've made it so that now I'll watch Liv Morgan versus Lana. I'll watch Bobby Lashley versus Rusev one more time. I'll watch a mixed tag, Rusev and Liv Morgan versus Bobby Lashley and Lana. But to also say that Liv Morgan is being misused when she's being brought back to be a part of arguably the most high-profile storyline on Monday Night Raw, the storyline that certainly has the most eyes. She's not just being brought back in the middle of a show with some gimmick. She's being presented to you as a serious person in the main event of Raw in a position where we know the only reason this wedding is happening is because we look at the YouTube eyes. We know that millions of people are going to watch this. We know millions are going to watch this. So what are we going to do to ensure that those millions of people have something to talk about? Let's bring Liv Morgan back for it. That's a tremendous amount of faith in Liv Morgan as a performer. Because clearly, clearly, this segment teeters that line 
between getting the desired result and being poo-pooed out of the building. This is a very risky segment for that reason. Rate of success is low. But go back, watch This Is Your Life, Bailey, and watch a segment completely unravel and be thrown out of a building by fans who know that this is bad and it's not working. Watch that segment and then watch the Lashley-Lana wedding segment. Nothing about the Lashley-Lana segment didn't work. It was effective, man. I don't know what to tell you. Unless that's just not your thing, and that's totally cool. I will absolutely hear somebody saying, I didn't like that, that was stupid. Okay, that's cool. But to be like, that was bad for the business or damaging for anybody involved or it didn't work or it was a dud or anything like that, I would I would go out on a limb and say, you might not know what you're talking about unless you can prove me wrong. And if you can, hit me up on an email, notsamwrestling at gmail.com. Leave a comment on YouTube. You can tell me. You can tell me. But I see it as a... Uh, I see it as a very successful segment on Monday Night Raw. I also thought that uh, uh, it was super cool that WWE had representation uh, at the new, on the New Year's Eve show on Fox. Of course, hosted by Maria Menounos, who's a great fan of the WWE, and Steve Harvey. Not only did they have a match between Roman Reigns and Dolph Ziggler that was pre-taped, I believe, at SmackDown for that show, which was just cool in and of itself that... This Fox deal as is such a big deal that WWE ends up with, you know, seven minutes or however long it was of time on Fox's New Year's show. Like, that's primo real estate. As far as the networks go, Dick Clark rocking New Year's Eve is, I guess, number one. But Fox is right there at number two. I mean, realistically, people are watching CNN, Dick Clark rocking New Year's Eve, and Fox New Year's Eve. So it's a pretty big deal to not only have that, but then to have the 24-7 title shtick, to have Maria throw a referee's shirt on, to have R-Truth and Mojo and uh, Elias all there. I thought it was amazing representation for WWE at that show. Uh, All right, we should check out uh, what was sent to us in the emails because I know uh, there was a lot lot to talk about this week. If you want to email in, uh, then do so. NotSamWrestling at gmail.com, our email, NotSamWrestling at gmail.com. Oh, by the way, real quick before we get to the emails, let's talk about uh, the uh, Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic Tournament. The brackets have been announced. Uh, of course, I would discuss what the, uh, uh, what's it called, with the uh, NXT year-end awards and what I thought of those, but... You should know what I thought of those because I talked about them on NXT. I hope you guys were watching. If you didn't watch NXT this week, make sure you go on the WWE Network and watch myself, Pat McAfee, Kathy Kelly, handing out some NXT year-end awards. Uh, For the Dusty Rhodes Tag Classic, you've got Imperium uh, versus the Forgotten Sons. you got Matt Riddle and Pete Dunne versus Mark Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster. you got the Grizzled Young Vets versus Kushida and a Mystery Partner. And then uh, you got Gallus, which is Mark Kofi and Wolfgang versus the Undisputed Era. I would imagine 
that you're looking... I could see Mark Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster getting the upset against Pete Dunne and Matt Riddle. Um, I think Imperium... Actually, I think Imperium beats the Forgotten Sons. So I think you're looking at Imperium versus Matt Riddle and Pete Dunne. And then you're looking at Undisputed Era... Maybe Undisputed Era versus... Probably Kushida and the Mystery Partner. Uh... And then I think, well, here's the thing. You've already got Undisputed Era versus Imperium 4-on-4 at uh, War of the Worlds or whatever, you know, when worlds collide, right? So maybe they won't do Undisputed Era versus Imperium. You also don't have Walter on that Imperium team. It's Barthel and uh, Eichner. So maybe end up with... I mean, I guess it also depends on who Kushida's mystery partner is. I don't know. It's going to get interesting. We'll talk more about it as the weeks progress. Uh, let's talk about what these emails said. Brian sent us an email. Uh, Mr. Roberts, he writes, A little over a year ago, Ring of Honor in New Japan seemed like all the rage and the main alternative to the WWE. But then ROH helped the Bucks and Cody run all in, which ended up being the spark to start AEW. Now, with most of the top independent talent going to AEW or the WWE, scooping them out, it seems like ROH and New Japan have zero buzz. Is the end of ROH coming before we know it? How do you, do you, how much do you think they regret allowing Cody and the Bucks to do All In? You know, I don't think All In was Ring of Honor's mistake. And I talked about this, I believe, a little bit when it was happening. I think that Ring of Honor's mistake was positioning the entire company around the being the elite guys. Ring of Honor positioned the entire... It was like when WCW basically positioned their entire company around the NWO. When the NWO got stale, or when guys started to leave, or whatever it was, WCW had nothing left. Ring of Honor focused their entire company around the Bullet Club. The Bullet Club and the elite, that was the draw for Ring of Honor. A little bit for New Japan, too. I don't think New Japan has no buzz. I think people are still excited about Wrestle Kingdom this weekend. You know, I think you've still got a core group of guys in New Japan. I don't think New Japan's in the kind of trouble that Ring of Honor's in. But the reason Ring of Honor is in that kind of trouble is because what I thought would happen happened. They put everything behind the Bullet Club guys because the Bullet Club was the hottest thing in wrestling. But the Bullet Club was not a Ring of Honor creation. The Bullet Club was created in New Japan. And ultimately, it got so big that it went outside of New Japan and the Bullet Club became its own independent entity. The Bullet Club became the elite, became AEW. I mean, I anybody could see that regardless if they did all in or not, if Cody and the Bucks and Kenny Omega united together, they had control whether Ring of Honor succeeded or not, and they decided not. It was up to Ring of Honor in that time to create new stars around the buzz of the Bullet Club guys, but Ring of Honor didn't really do that. They didn't do it well. So I think that's the problem with Ring of Honor. I, I And maybe they would say, oh, we, we probably shouldn't have let them and helped them do all in, but that really wasn't the issue. The issue was positioning the entire company around the Bullet Club and giving the Bullet Club all the power in the world. Um, we have some criticism 
coming in from Pierce in the Discord room. Of course, if you're a Not Sam shill at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling, you get full access to our Discord room where you got people chatting in there uh, every day, all day, all day or day. Um, and Pierce in the Discord room, he writes, uh, I just finished the decade in review, and whilst it was a great show and a nice reminder of the end of my first decade as a wrestling fan, I have a bone to pick. How the hell is Punk an afterthought in the last five minutes? I completely agree that he's not in, con- in contention for wrestler of the decade. I- I'd have to put Brian over Reigns, I can- which is fair. To say that he wasn't influential or didn't do much seems insane to me. The new Nexus was great, and the pipe bomb slash breakout slash title run was game-changing for the time, and I'd argue paved the way for Brian, uh, but for bringing in, not only for Brian, but for bringing in more indie guys. He was the access point for the Shield and was a huge factor in wrestling after leaving. No, it wasn't his decade, uh, but it was his first half, and to ignore that almost entirely, explain yourself, sir, and then he writes, um... Well, okay. So, he writes a little more after that, but that's, you You got the gist. You know, in hindsight, I think we probably should have spent a little bit more time on CM Punk and the pipe bomb in particular. The pipe bomb was a hugely influential moment in the 2010s, for sure. It got the world talking. It was, you know, enormously important. But... You might be giving it more credit. First of all, the new Nexus was not great. Not great at all. You know the new Nexus wasn't great because as soon as CM Punk collected all that buzz from the pipe bomb promo, they were just forgotten about. So the new Nexus was certainly not great. The Nexus was a storyline that had massive amounts of potential. From the time the Nexus debuted until SummerSlam, when they all got beat, they were amazing. The, the debut of the Nexus was incredible when they tore up the ring and everything. Incredible segment. But it went nowhere. So the new Nexus was not great. Um, the pipe bomb was incredible and was great and was impactful. And we probably should have mentioned that more with Wade Keller. I think if I could if I could do add anything to that, it would be more of a conversation about the women and more of a conversation about the pipe bomb. However, CM Punk's title run was not at all what it should have been. The pipe bomb was incredible. The match with John Cena was incredible. I maybe my favorite one of my favorite matches of the decade was John Cena versus CM Punk Money in the Bank. I think 2011, I think is when it was. Same Money in the Bank that Daniel Bryan won the briefcase for the first time. One of my favorite pay-per-views of all time at the end of the day. But CM Punk ended up leaving with the title. And this is not any fault of CM Punk. This is just what happened. CM Punk ended up leaving with the title. That was amazing. He came back a month later, so it was too early. He got in some wonky rivalry with Triple H and Kevin Nash, and then Kevin Nash ended up getting injured, and none of it ever made any sense whatsoever. His WrestleMania match with Chris Jericho, it was a decent match, but it wasn't anywhere close to the main event, and that's not the match you remember from that WrestleMania. It was John Cena versus The Rock. And then when he eventually, even though he had a very long title reign, he eventually lost the title to The Rock so he could take it on to the next year's WrestleMania. So, you know, there wasn't that much remarkable other than the length about CM Punk's title run. What was remarkable is what started the title run. 
you're right that he was the access point for the shield. The shield came in to protect CM Punk. But that also was dropped very, very quickly. And in the history of the shield, CM Punk happened to be the guy that they came in to protect, in my opinion. When you look at the shield, that's not people don't go because because they weren't even with CM Punk for very long. They ended up being the hounds of justice. And and kind of saving people in a very nondescript fashion. So I can't even give you credit on that one. I think he did open up the world to indie talent. But I honestly think that Daniel Bryan had more to do with that than CM Punk did. And then he ended up leaving, what was it, after Royal Rumble 14? 13? 14? Obviously, he was there 2011. I think he was there for all of 2012 and 2013. So, you know, his last WrestleMania was WrestleMania 29. It was a good match with The Undertaker, but, you know, that's what it was. So, you know, I, I still, I, I, I think that more should have attention should have been paid to the pipe bomb. But I think ultimately CM Punk's legacy in the 2010s is just the pipe bomb. An amazing legacy an important legacy, but that's, to me, what it is. And I'm the biggest CM Punk fan in the world. Are you kidding me? I have every T-shirt. I have every action figure. I, I mean, go back and look at the interviews I did with CM Punk. Biggest CM Punk fan you could find. So glad that he's back. Can't wait for him to wrestle again, which I'm sure he will. But we're just talking about the decade and what it was. All right, guys. If you want to send in your emails, notsamwrestling at gmail.com is the email to send it into. We will be back first thing Monday morning. Thank you all for always being here. Don't forget to check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. And subscribe to the new YouTube channel, youtube.com slash notsamwrestling. Lots of great visuals. We'll see you on Monday. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough. And the ones who know we're tougher together. For the Pathfinders breaking new ground. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you, so you can always depend on us. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.